This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today's guest is Jose Hernandez. He was an electrical engineer who, due taking medicine that he was allergic to, flatlined for five minutes. And then he experienced a journey that shattered every belief in science he had ever held dear. Jose, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate you giving me some of your time today. Thank you, Jeff. I, I'm humbled to be on. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to jump right into the story. So uh, that's right. I wasn't an engineer. And in, in fact, I was running some electrical lines. I was up on a bucket truck in uh, South Florida. And uh, it was Wednesday. The next day was Thanksgiving. And we were really backed up and it was getting late. It was already getting dark and we were trying to find a way to finish quicker. And we came up with the brilliant idea of we'll keep the bucket truck up and the driver will maneuver, hopefully, without any incident from from, from pole to pole. Uh, but he kind of bumped into a, a tree side of the truck and I hit the bucket and I broke all the ribs on my right side and uh, that started my, my journey. Now, before I went into my journey, I will tell you that I, I was an atheist. Okay. I was very science minded. So uh, I was very into math and very into science. Uh, and then at home, my mother was a Catholic. She's French. And my father was half indigenous, so his philosophy was very different. One is telling me, go find God in a church. The other one says, look out the door, look out the window. God is everywhere. So I didn't want to actually pick one or the other. And then science became a good alternative. So I, I really followed that route. And uh, anyway, I wind up having to go to the hospital, and uh, I had the ribs broken, and they gave me this medication. So it was a painkiller with a combination of uh, anti-inflammatory. And it, the anti-inflammatory was just ibuprofen. So I took the pill and it was getting very difficult to breathe. So I, I went home. They sent me home. I called them up. I said, hey, guys, I'm having a hard time breathing. And then, of course, they said to me, you know what, Jose, you're all taped up. Your ribs are broken. You can't take a deep breath. So it's, it's okay. So I said, okay, I continued to take that. And my breathing just began to get worse and worse and worse. It didn't happen all of a sudden. It, it took a while. So I, I got past Thanksgiving. It was a crazy year because it was the year 2000 and they expected all this insanity with the internet and everything and with the Y2K thing. And uh, I was kind of like aware of that, but I was having so much difficulty that I wasn't really focused on any of that. I uh, got past that new year and uh, wound up going to the hospital in the beginning of January. And uh, never forget this is because I tell people, you know, it's kind of weird because you never think of this day being the day you're going to die. Yeah. But uh, I get to the hospital. It's kind of late, 11 at night. I told my wife and my son, you know what? You guys go home. I'm going to be okay. It's not a big deal. You know, it, it's probably the broken ribs and whatever. So they went home. I stayed in the hospital and the nurse comes in after they, they, they screened me and stuff. And they said, okay, you're going to stay. But uh, she says, here's this little button, of course. And if you have any difficulty, call us. And they started an IV drip and all those things. And uh, I waited for about 45 minutes sitting in the bed. And all that time I'm thinking, man, I really should push this button. I really should push this button. But I got to say, I grew up in the Bronx my mindset was, I got to tough this out. This is nothing. I'm going to be okay. You're, you're, you know, you're overthinking it. You know, it's nothing. You'll be fine. Anyway, I got to the point where I couldn't wait any longer, and I did push the button. And this was the beginning of the journey. I pushed the button. took about a minute for the nurse to get there. And that was one of the longest minutes of my life. And when she finally got there, she just opened the door. She looked at me and she just hit that cold blue on a wall. And it didn't register in my head. I'm thinking, 
The next thing I know, all these people are running in this room. So you got a crash team coming in. And I'm going to tell you what I felt as this process was happening. So I'm holding on to this sheet, trying to keep myself covered. And the first thing I feel is shame as they just pull this off of me. I'm a guy. I'm supposed to be strong. I can't have no strength to hold on to this thing. They just peeled it right off of me like nothing. They put this board underneath me and then they laid me down and they started stripping me. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I felt really embarrassed because I couldn't do anything. You know, the next thing I know, I mean, in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to be okay. This is nothing. So, you know, just fine. The next thing I know, I started thinking, what if, what if something does happen? Two o'clock in the morning, everybody's at home. Nobody's going to get here in time. So if something happens, I'm going to be alone. So that began to create a sense of fear within me. Now, I couldn't breathe. So when we take a deep breath, think of that as breathing. But half of that, that's only half. The other half is getting, letting all that go. I couldn't let go of that air. And I couldn't get any air in. So it was like, And I was beginning to get a little nervous, saying, wow, this, this might be more serious than, than I think. Now, they're putting more other IVs on me. They're giving me steroids. They're giving me all these things, trying to get my lungs open. And I started thinking, you know, about my family being away. I'll never see them. If, th- if something happens to me, I'm not going to see them again. And it created a tremendous knot in my chest. Now, if you could imagine you can't breathe. Now I got this emotional knot that is so intense. It overshadowed the difficulty I had breathing, that how intense that was. And then I felt like I was falling and falling and falling. It was like a free fall. And I, it was so emotional to think that I would never see anyone that I love again. Now, being an electrical engineer, I'm thinking if something does happen to me, I'm going to be like a light bulb and somebody's just going to pull a switch and I'm just going to shut off and that's it. I'm going to turn to nothing and disappear. Well, I had that emotional sense of not seeing my family. Then I started thinking, you know what? What if there is a God? What What if God is real? And I, I started thinking to myself, well, I have nothing to lose if I call on God, you know, and I ask him to intervene. And if he's real, then wow. So I did. I started, I guess I was kind of negotiating with God. I said, look, if you intervene and stop this from happening i'm going to be a different man i'm going to be i'll change as a person i'll be a lot better person and felt like an eternity but maybe it was 30 seconds a minute that passed and nothing happened the only thing that happened was that my heart because i couldn't get any oxygen in my body started to get very regular and it sounded like a horse galloping in my chest boom 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 and then getting very regular and i began to get very scared literally panicked and I I will say I never felt fear like that in my life and I've been in a lot of scary situations and I had this sense that I wanted to hold somebody's hand I was I was in my head thinking oh I wish a nurse would hold my hand now you can't speak I couldn't speak but I could have held somebody's hand but I started thinking about my dad and I started thinking about the way he was and how we grew up and how I wasn't supposed to show fear. I wasn't allowed to show fear. He, he taught us not to cry. He taught us to be like really tough, crazy people, right? Emotionless would be a good word. And uh, I actually stiffened. My body went, mm, I'm not going to show any fear. I can't do that. And the next thing that happened was my heart began to stop. And as that was happening, I began to hear the IB drip. And it sounded like water splashing on a tin roof. It was like splash, splash, splash. And then when I looked at the wall, I could see the grain in the wallpaper. In my head, I'm going, wow, what, what is happening here? My in- senses were so like acute. They were like insane. And I looked at the door, at the door frame, and it was really brightly lit. And I saw a shadow standing there. And I started thinking that at this point, there was nothing I could do to stop the chain of events. What was happening? I can't stop it. And I started thinking, because of the way I grew up, 
I started thinking, well, if I do that, am I quitting? Am I giving up? And I started telling myself, no, I'm not quitting and I'm not giving up. No shame in what I'm doing. I just understand that there's nothing I could do to stop what's happening. And the minute I said it was okay to die, I said to myself, it's okay to die. You had a hard life. You know, you, you had a really hard life and it's okay. And the minute I said the thought that, the shadow moved from the door, just weaved around everybody that was in that room. She, she, to me, it was a feminine energy. I'm not mm. sure what it was. Mm. It reached out and touched me. When it touched me, I just felt this tremendous sense of love and peace and calm and a breeze just blowing over me. I wasn't struggling to breathe anymore. I, I, I know I was, but I wasn't. That makes any sense. I felt completely fine. In fact, I never felt better in ever. The best I've ever felt. And, and this overwhelming sense of love and peace and calm. And I, this breeze is just blowing, blowing. And I got crazy long hair. And I'm thinking, wow, my hand must be blowing in this breeze. And I just felt myself lifting, lifting. And then the next thing I know, I was standing in the corner of the room. And I was watching the crash, the crash team doing CPR. And they're trying to stick a tube, intubate me. They're trying to do all these things. And I'm just watching and I'm observing. And then there, there's certain moments, even in your near death, that become like the defining moment. This was one of my defining moments. I looked at myself and I said, that's me and I'm dead. Then I asked this question, which is still a very powerful question to me, even to this day. I said, if that's me, then who am I? Because everything that I need to be doing this, to be thinking, to be seeing, to be feeling, is dead in my body. You know, how how is this possible? So I hear a voice on my left side, and a woman says to me, You have to think of your body as if it was a car. Except in this case, your your body, your car has 5 million miles. You can't fix it anymore. So you need to now say goodbye to your body. And I'm thinking, I just finished saying it was okay to die. Mm -hmm. Now I'm being asked to say goodbye to my physical body. And the most magical thing happened. I look at my body, and for the first time in my life, I love who I had been. I loved my body. My body was perfect. It was, it was a, an amazing vessel that gave me an opportunity to enjoy all those lives, all those years that I had lived. And I had never been happy when I was alive with how I looked. You know, there was always something wrong. I was never good enough. I was so judgmental. And at this moment, all that was gone. All that left. I became perfect. I loved who I had been. And then I started to get these little memories of me holding my little brother's hand or somebody smiling, a hug. All these little things, taking a deep breath, a sunrise, leaves blowing in the wind, birds flying, the sounds of all these things, and it, it told me in a way that I had missed a lot of life because I had all these things, all these wondrous things every moment of every day, and I chose because I wanted to work or do this or I was competing, I wanted more money, I wanted this. I chose not to recognize it, not to, to see it. And in in this moment where I was saying about in my body and I was dead, I realized that 99% of my life, I was exposed to that, and I never acknowledged it. I never said, wow, what a beautiful day. You know, occasionally you go somewhere beautiful on vacation. Oh, wow, wow it's beautiful. Look at these mountains. I had never done it, and I realized that the simplest things in life are what has the most value. And then I had once I had recognized that, the voice said to me, we got to keep going. So we started walking. It was like this big black hole in front of me. And I kind of walked into it with her. And I fell. And I feel this tearing, tearing, tearing. 
I hit the bottom, I hit the ground, I kind of, my knees kind of bend, and then she said, no, we got to keep going, and I see this other black hole, and I went right in it again, I fell, and same thing, ripping, ripping, I hit bottom, and when I hit the bottom, I found myself, if you could visualize a bowl, you're right in the middle, and I'm hovering in the middle of this bowl, and all around me is just color all these colors and they're moving, they're living there and they're talking. Hmm. And I could hear this chatter like a million voices going, shh, and I'm like incredibly fascinated because while all that's happening, you just feel this tremendous sense of love and peace and calm. And I felt the colors coming towards me or they would join me towards them. I don't know which. All I know is that I merged with them and I became those colors. And as I moved into it deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, I could hear them pleading my head, speaking to me, telling me, uh, giving me like a blueprint of paint and things like that. I came out finally merged on the other side. And the first thing I see is this incredible forest, this beautiful landscape, these mountains. And I could see the dark clouds, that, that the dark shadow that the clouds are making on the mountains. Now, I grew up in a city. That was the, I rarely saw mountains and things like that. And even in Florida, no mountains, mm-hmm. totally flat. Yeah. So I, I, I always find it interesting that that's where I was. And this beautiful landscape of trees and all these animals roaming and really beautiful. And then I had the thought and I said, what's going to happen to my kids? And I heard a voice and she just said to me, where you perceive them from here and that made me incredibly peaceful and I just kept moving and I realized at one point I'm flying I said oh I'm flying and the voice said to me that's normal here so I said okay kept on flying and I noticed that if I got near a tree I became that tree and I could feel that tree I could feel it drawing from the ground you know drinking, consuming fluid. If I got near the air, when I when I reached out, I became there. I saw a bird, I became that bird. I was becoming all these things. And I finally got high enough that I was getting over this mountain and the top was just no cap. It was really beautiful. And I looked over it and I could see in the horizon, the sun was to my right. To my left was a cove and a beach. And as I looked at the sun, I don't know if it was rising or setting, but I could see the flares coming out of it. So it's it's almost as if I was looking to a telescope. Anyway, I focused my attention to the left and the beach, like a horseshoe shape, and I could see a man holding six children on his right hand and one on his left. They were knee-deep in the water. And I said, well, let me go check that out, kind of, right? So I, I head down. And I get about 10 or 15 feet away from from this person. And when he turned around, it was my dad. Mm. And uh, thoughts in my head were, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be able to tell my dad what I couldn't tell him when, I, when he was alive. When my father was living, he, he and I were always bumping heads, used to drink. And it was abusive. And uh, I was always trying to protect my mom. And so we never really got along. And he had this real strange way of thinking what a man is. So we wouldn't hog. He wouldn't never. I don't recall him in life saying, I love you. And I don't recall saying it to him either. Yeah. So I'm thinking here's redemption for me. I'm going to be able to tell my dad all these things that I never could say in life. So. We just look at each other and we're not speaking. I could hear him in my head. I know he could hear me in his head. So I thought, this is my opportunity to forgive him and for him to forgive me. So we got together and we hugged. What happened when we hugged was that I became my dad for that instant. Hmm. And in his, I could think I could feel him everything he thought I knew everything he thought all of a sudden and when when I was growing up I never thought my father cared about me I never thought he loved me I, uh, 
I just never did because we never talked about it. And here I'm, 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 I'm having this moment where my father is communicating with me. And uh, I could feel that he loved me. I could feel that he was proud of me. I could feel all these things. And I, I wondered even there, why, why did we never talk about it? And I knew I loved him. You know, it was very difficult for me because when my father died, I disconnected him from life support. So I felt mm -hmm. somewhat responsible for his death. I know that's crazy, but it's how I felt anyway. And uh, let go. And he looked at me and he said, Jose, you have to go back. And I said, no, I don't want to go back. I really like it here. I, I want to stay. Mm -hmm. He said, no, you got to go back. And then I felt like a tug here, but it really pulling me from my back. Mm -hmm. And I wind up in my body. I opened my eyes and I must have done it very suddenly because the doctor that was doing CPR, she just pulled back. And then I was right back with my father again. And, um, we had the same conversation of you got to leave. And I'm like, no, I want to stay. And he looked at me and he finally said, look, Jose, this my father was always doing deals. Okay, let's do a deal. And he said to me, look, when your time comes, I promise I'll be the one to go get you. Mm -hmm. I just looked at him and I said, you know what? That sounds like a really good deal. Mm -hmm. Just all I did was think that and I could feel that pulling and boom, right back in my body. Now I was able to breathe. I had a machine breathing. Feeling miserable, feeling pain, feeling all these things. I had all these machines hooked up on me, and my first thought was, was that real? And then if that was real, then what happened that I'm here? Did I just get kicked out of heaven? That's my thinking was, wow, did I just get kicked out of this amazing space? That space was so incredible. And I had an experience that I began to think that, no, that wasn't real. That was just the drugs. It was something that never happened. And I was beginning to panic. And, uh, the alarm for my heart monitor goes off. And a woman pops up by the door. She's got this really beautiful soft curls, gray and white hair. And I looked at her and the only thought that went in my head was, wow, she would make a Perfect grandmother in a movie show. And she looked at me and she asked me if I wanted to take communion. Hmm. In my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I haven't been in a church in over 30 years. And I, I can't take communion, but my head was nodding yes. She came in the room and she had her hand like this. She put her palm, she had like oil in her palm and she rubbed it. She put it right on my forehead. The minute she touched my forehead, I was like dead again. Peace and calm and all that grace. I was just immersed in it again. And uh, she said, I'm going to leave this at your desk. She did leave something there. Now, my prognosis when I was in the hospital was, you're not going to leave this space alive, so go take care of your affairs. And uh, I wound up in the hospital for three months. Wow. It was a very slow healing process. And what would happen was every time a cold blue was hit, my physical brain is thinking that's going to be me again. What I did was I would go to that space where I was in the middle of that bowl, all those colors around me, and I would find that to be my safe haven. That was my, my go-to. And I found out I was doing that often because there are a lot of cold blues when you're in, in, in an ICU. Anyway, six weeks later, I got out. Never forget this when I was able to speak. I said to my cardiologist, I said, you know what? I think I went somewhere. That was it. He looked at me. Nope. That was a chemical reaction in your brain. You realize your brain is still alive for two minutes after your heart stops. And then you have all this DMT. You have all these drugs that they were giving you. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Then it wasn't real. It wasn't real. I left the hospital. And I really struggled because I had lost about 30 pounds and uh, 
it was very difficult just to walk from my bed to a sofa. Mm. And I started this long healing journey. But even at home, I just kept escaping to those colors, escaping to those colors whenever I felt really bad. Uh, anyway, it took about six months before I got back on my feet. I started thinking about that lady that came to the door and I wanted to thank her. So I went everywhere, every church, every synagogue, everywhere where I lived. And ultimately the answer was no, she's not, she's not here. So I finally went to the last place that, that I could go and they introduced me to the lady that actually goes out and she was totally different, young, a younger person. Then the priest looked at me and he said, you know, Jose, you also have to realize that at two o'clock in the morning, Nobody's going to be there to do that. Mm. You know, it's not going to happen. And then it just dawned on me. So I believe now that she was an angel. And she intervened. Uh, when, when I'm dying, it's kind of crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm an I'm a atheist. I have the experience. Now I feel something very spiritual. Now I'm thinking maybe this woman was even an angel. So it's really my frame, my mind, the frame of my mind was completely changed in those few minutes of my death. And everything I believed had just been completely dismantled. Now I had to find a way to embrace this experience. So I went to a lot of psychiatrists. I went to five, four years, and I was trying to find a magic pill that they could give me that would make me be who I was before my experience. Mm. And I was really blessed that none of them medicated me. Yeah. None of them. And I was really lucky to meet one in the middle, the third one, who finally sat me down on the sofa and she sat next to me. And she did what I needed to have done in that hospital. She took my hand. Mm. She held my hand. And for the first time, I was able to say why I was even there to see her. You know, I had this experience. I went somewhere. I met my dad. Am I crazy? And she was very compassionate. And that moment she held my hand made me feel that contact. And it made me realize when I was dying, when I thought I was being a real tough guy, really brave, what a coward I was actually being. That was so soothing. So, I don't know, it just made me feel so human. And I learned that it was okay to cry. Like, I weep often now and I find it very relieving. Often when I tell the story, it brings me to tears because... Meeting my dad and being able to have that moment of forgiveness because it wasn't about me forgiving him or him forgiving me. It ultimately became about me forgiving myself. Mm. It, it, it really still touches my heart deeply. And anyway, they were able to, I, I left the hospital. I was addicted to quite a few medications. They were able to really help me get off of that. I finally met the last psychologist. And this this woman had been uh, one of the pioneers that started INs in, in the early 80s, 82, 81, something like that. And she looked at me and she said, what happened to you is very common. And it was the first time I heard the, the expression and the near-death experience and, and all these things. So... She actually took me to a chapter one time and I, I went with her and I experienced other people that had the experience. And then I, I felt like maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I'm not so alone because it's hard to describe this, but your own family thinks you're crazy. My wife became my ex-wife. My children to this day, they're grown up. They'll still say to me, where's the old Joe? And I'm thinking, you know what, guys, I, I think I'm better now. I'm spiritual, I'm, mm -hmm. but they're still looking for that person that you were. And I think it's hard for them, too. To, they're going through a transition, same as you. Anyway, I got divorced. And uh, I started painting in 2003. And the uh, funny thing is, I never painted in my life, so I didn't know where to start.
I just would think about that moment I was in that space and I could still see that blueprint, that recipe that they gave me for how to paint, how I had to do this. And the recipe was that I had to start with a black canvas. The black canvas represented creation and I had to keep that very, very clearly in my head. And it, 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 it was telling me in that blackness, in that emptiness, what we consider to be emptiness, all the ingredients exist to make life. All the life we know came from, from that darkness. And I was like, oh. And then it's easy for me to reference that now because all I have to do is look up in the sky at night. And in that darkness, all the ingredients to make all those stars, all these plants, everything that's out there, all this life. And I understood it when I had that, when I had that moment to sit out and just look at the sky and say, yeah, that's what it is. Then I started painting in layers and the layers represent our lives. So when I'm five, I'm different than when I'm 10. When I'm 10, I'm not the same person that when I'm 15, 20, 25, I keep changing, changing, changing. And in a very strange way, from my perspective, we live many lives. We keep adapting our lives to fit something new or, well, I'm gonna try this now and then my life shifts. And uh, so, it's, it's done in a way that it's made for you to understand that it, it's like you and all these covers, all these things that we put to protect ourselves. You know, to me, I, they're like blankets that we wear and we keep getting heavier and heavier with these blankets. Before we know it, things that happened to us no longer did. They're, they're so buried deeply in, in somewhere that they're no longer even a part of my life, even though they have packed me in a very subconscious way, in a conscious way, they don't exist. And anyway, so the art is, is engineered to represent that. And uh, we started to work with a lot of rehab and drug centers in South Florida. And we found that it helped people have what they call breakthroughs and, and it created trust. And uh, so we started to use that as a healing modality. And that's where we are with the art. So that kind of was my experience, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Uh I'm still learning from it. Mm -hmm. You know, dying is a very difficult transition. Some of us die suddenly. I had the experience of dying slowly, so there was an awareness that I was dying and that I was going to sustain loss. Then the moment I did finally transition, I realized that I didn't sustain any loss. Mm -hmm. Anything that was relevant or important to me in my life was able to move with me and it moves with me in my thoughts and my memories. Uh, so I could take that to the other side. Everything else stays here. So anything that I had that was physical, that I thought was valuable, that I thought had worth, you know, cars, computers, you know, luxury, all these things, they're not really as important as I thought they were when I was living. So the shift in my life is that that's not so relevant in my life. I needed to live but I don't need the way I used to think. So I was very competitive and now I'm very low key and calm. And I love living the life that I'm living. When you were there in that bowl spaced area with colors around you, did you feel like you lost all sense of yourself here on earth? Like Jose Hernandez doesn't even exist anymore. That was a guy I was before, but I'm somebody else somebody more when when i was there my experience was that a part of me did die mm -hmm. on that bed but and i called it the preservation of the self part of me was still me that's why i could remember my kids and all these things mm -hmm. and uh I can't take them with me. I can't hold them anymore and things like that from a physical perspective, mm -hmm. but I could hang on to them and still have them within me in that space. So when I was changing, when I became the color and all these things, it really cemented the concept of oneness to me. So I lost the identity of being physically in this body and being distinct from everything else. Mm -hmm. And it was replaced by a sense of, I am everything, and I could become anything here. If I get near it, I touch it. I am that. And it speaks to that sense of oneness. And I always wonder, if I had been dead for 10 minutes, 
how much deeper would I have gone on this journey? You know, and I think I would have, you reach the point where you can't come back. Yeah. So I, I find that really interesting and compelling, but those are my thoughts. I, I, I kept a part of me, but a part of me that was only about love, compassion, caring, moments that were of joy. I couldn't. So when I was being ripped apart, when I was falling, when I hit the bottom, what I was told was you you have to get rid of all your fears, all your, your painful events, all these things that happened in your life that were negative because you can only move on as impure in your pure state. So I could only move into the spirit world as spirit. Mm. You have to become, you have to become whole. Since you have a background of being an electrical engineer and you understand electricity probably a lot better than most of us, have you thought over time, well, what are we? Are we energy or even not energy? What is consciousness? What are your thoughts about all that? Uh, I'm going to tell you that in a very scientific way. Hmm. So I visualize myself as a electron or a photon. And these are fundamental particles. And I visualize myself that way because a fundamental particle in theory exists in the entire universe at the same time and only becomes a particle when it's observed. So it's, it's always in a wave. And when you observe it, it becomes a particle. And that's how I feel. I feel that in this world where I'm being observed, I become this physical thing. But when we're in that world of spirit, we are a wave that encompasses not only this universe, any any other universe that exists, because I think it, we're in a multiverse type of environment. Uh, and even that is in an infinite you know, uh, state. So, yeah, that's the way I perceive myself, more of a, a fundamental particle. And uh, when we die... I believe we fall into ourselves and we become smaller and smaller and smaller and everything just so much more gigantic. And I think we ultimately wind up in our core, which is our heart. Hmm. You know, I had to let go of this physical brain because it works based on the rules of what we know in this world. My heart is from the source. It taps into the source. So if you look at this painting behind me. That painting is called Strand. That's that cord that holds me to spirit hmm. and uh, and creator. And when I transition again, that strand is what prevents me from getting lost. It takes me home. And when I get home, I become part of the whole. And when I say the whole, I mean everything that exists in every universe, every dimension and everywhere. So it's interesting because it takes time for you to begin to define that experience of death. And I finally feel comfortable defining it that way. So that's why to me, and this is just me, that other space is so filled with love and so filled with peace and calm because energy that's from here, thoughts are not integrated into it. I can't create fear. I can't create none of the things that we create here, you know, and, uh, so I, I think, and it speaks to our eternity, right? Because we are a form of energy, we're a frequency. In that form, I am that, and I could become anything. So it speaks about limitless potential. As a human being, even today, even in this physical body, I believe we all have limitless potential. And uh, we're always moving from each second to the next or microsecond or however you want to really look at it, minute to minute, day to day, each second in our lives, we have an opportunity to pivot. And we pivot by maybe a thought or a feeling. And maybe, you know, I thought I wanted to be an engineer, but I don't know if I'm too happy there. Maybe I want to try something else. Make these decisions and we begin to move in a different direction in our lives. And I think that's our creative energy that 
allows us to do that. Can you clear this up for me? When you were first dying, the being was like a shadow and you felt like it was a female energy. And then at the point when you left your body and the being or entity started conversing with you, it was a female voice. And then this being took you, you were going through holes and and falling down and stuff. Is that same being, do you think, the same one that you saw later that you thought was an angel? You know, Jeff, that's a really good question. And I've been asked a lot of questions, but that's the first time I've been asked that. In my heart, I believe she was. Because if she didn't intervene when she did the second time, then what was the sense of reviving me? And having my father tell me to go back. So, yeah... I, I do believe that. And she represented herself in a, in a way that I could easily embrace her as a grandmother figure, as somebody very fragile herself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it made me easy, made it easy to say yes. Even though I wasn't thinking of saying yes, my head was just saying, okay. So I owe her a lot. Mm-hmm. So today I believe in angels. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, uh, we play those roles also. We're all angels in a, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I might say something to someone out here listening that might say, wow, that, that, that's really important to me. And it, it could change your life. And it happens often. And then three or four years down the road, somebody will say, hey, you remember when you said this to me? And I'm like, well, not really. But to them, that was a galvanizing moment and a life-changing crossroad. And we do that all the time, and we're just not aware of it. So we all play the role of that angel in a way. I believe in two forms of angels. So we're all an angel embodied, and and I believe that they have the angels that are of spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, in my, my dad's culture, we would call them you know, those that know or spirit helpers. Um, you know, in, in, in Catholic world, we would call them angels. it's interesting but that that's a really really cool question because i i never thought about it till now my answer would be yes okay thank you i'm not really clear on what compelled you to become a painter i thought you had said that from what i heard it sounded like somebody told you to become a painter is that correct or not and if not what did compel you to start painting well it depends what you believe so if I'm in this bowl of color and I get immersed in the color and I become the color and I'm hearing them talking to me, those were the architects of my desire to paint. So I come back, I got a, like a recipe, you know, you have to paint like this. You got to start with a black canvas. You got to do this. I had to add the four forces or the four energies into it. So, uh, there's fire, there's, there's air, there's water, there's earth to, I had to add all these things, so it gave me all these ingredients now. You come back, you can't paint. You don't know how. Mm-hmm. So it took me three years to kind of say, look, I need to find a way to reproduce what I saw. And here's the mindset. Mindset was very simple. I said to myself, if that healed me, then And I am convinced that my healing came from that space and what i'm speaking to is the frequency of color it's an energy when i look at a painting when i look at these things they're not a thing they're a living living aspect they're just as alive as i am the only difference is that here in my physicality i do not have the equipment that i had when i was dead to feel their presence to feel their heart you know over there, I could feel a heart in a stone. Everything had life. And I came back with that understanding that even though I don't see that here, I don't feel it the way I felt it. The art does speak to me. So when you see something that you love, Jeff, you go, oh, my God, I love that. Maybe I want to buy that piece. To me, it's that piece of art communicating with you, telling you something that is resonating with your spirit that you say, I want it or I want to try to get it. And, and I think that about everything, even a car. Oh, I, I want this car. I want that car. I want this. 
To me, those things are no longer a thing. They have an aspect of life associated with them. But those voices and that recipe, that blueprint that they gave me, is what I was actually able to use to start painting. And some of these images, like that one there, has over 200 layers. Wow. What happens is if we light that in a very unique way, the colors begin to move. And it, I call it a living color. Mm. And uh, what happens is one layer is being pulled from behind the other. Uh, it, it, it's reminding me of what I saw when I was there. And I will say this. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I can ever reproduce what I saw. Yeah. But I'm getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer to that. You know, to me, that's sacred. Not only my art, music, all the things that we're able to do, a lot of that is sacred. And why do I say that? One reason is that whatever we bring to this world stays in this world. We can't take it back with us. Whatever we do in this world stays in this world. So that's why I say we're creators. Mm -hmm. The thing of creation in terms of procreating, you know, making sure that we continue as a, as a people, right? And animals continue as, as an animal. But we create everything around us. Even right now, everything that we're using to have this conversation was created. And I, I find that to be an incredible grace that we have as human beings. So that's where the art came from. The fact that it impacts people very tremendously, it changes lives. I mean, I've worked with over a thousand people one-on-one -on -one with the art. I have seen dramatic changes on people that are seriously addicted, people that have been really seriously abused, people that have had it really hard. Because when you work in these addiction centers and these centers like that, nobody's having an easy life there. And uh, so I'm very proud and happy that, that it's been able to do that. My dream now is to get it out into the world, to get it out into the masses. So I'm glad that I'm having this opportunity to speak here with you, Jeff, because it, it gets it out there. And I'm hoping that people ultimately get to experience some of this and, and you put a light on it and it begins to move. Uh, in fact, if you go to my website, I have a free meditation mm. that you download for nothing. And uh, you'll see the color moving very slowly, but very in a very subtle way. But you can see it changing from the original and when it's over, it's back to the original, but it goes through a tremendous gamut of change. Uh, and uh, it causes a lot of calm and peace. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll just include this in. I'm working with two hospitals now to create two incubators for research that are based on the art and do they have an impact? So if I have surgery, would it help mitigate my need for pain medication? If I'm very distressed, will it help to calm me? And uh, we have two hospitals that have agreed to start a program, and hopefully it'll be in place really soon. That's amazing. First, I want to say on the painting on your wall, you know, I just saw that, but once you added the information about the thread that holds you, I thought that was very interesting. I have here a few of your other artworks. I'll post these for the people to see. Please post them. These three pictures? Post them. You know, one of them, the one that's, you know, because I have a, a, a First Nation, part of my, my background is First Nation, speaks to our grandmothers. Mm -hmm. So you'll see them in shadows. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to what we call our seven grandmothers, which is our entire bloodline. Mm -hmm. The art is engineered to reconnect you with your entire blood tree, your family tree, your bloodline. And it allows you to honor that because you wouldn't be if it wasn't for all that. So if it wasn't for 200 years ago, two people getting together, yeah. that could be my great, 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 great grandparents. Yeah. And no matter what a harsh condition it was or how beautiful it may have been, I wouldn't be here. And so it allows us to honor them and to kind of move through that journey to ultimately, as you move through that art and you get to that black space, so there's always a core. When you get to that black space, you're in that space of creation. And what it speaks to is your ability to be unstoppable. It speaks to your unlimited potential. It speaks to that. And that's where I go to nourish myself. 
So I use the art to help empower me. You know, I, I, I use it to help understand that what I am as a human. Yes, I will make mistakes. I will make more mistakes. Uh, the near-death experience doesn't make me perfect as a physical being, but I know as a spiritual being I am. And if I could keep tapping into those resources, then I could become a lot better person than, than, than I am now or I was before. And, and that's kind of where I'm heading. And I think the, heart, the art helps me to make that happen. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of anecdotal, you know, explanations or experiences that people share with me. And, you know, something so simple like that could change a life. Mm. And as we say, in a good way, and that, that's the goal. All right, you have something that you have going on now called immersion, I believe. Can you tell us about that? Well, in immersion is a process or practice that I developed to work with the, with the addiction centers and things like that. And it's a practice where I'll share this with you. When you walk in, you know, we ask you seven questions and we give you two pieces of paper. So on this one, you're going to write your answers and then you're going to turn it around and I'll give you two minutes to draw with a box of crayons. We go through a breath work. We do a healing. We do all these things, art-based practice. We do it's actually called an evidence-based practice. And then when we finish all that, we ask you to the same seven questions and we ask you to draw again for another two minutes. And the shift is very dramatic. So... Then what we do as a group is we take the paintings and we interpret them. And I found in, in, in my experience in doing this for like 17 years, it's it been that we all want to tell our story. I'm having an opportunity to tell my story here, but we all want to say who we are. So that's why I dress the way I do. Talks about some of my culture, some of who I am. Everybody does everything in a way so that people, when they look at them, it tells a little bit of their story. And some of us want to hide, so we kind of dress them and we hide. Some of us are more like, here I am, I'm in your face. But everything we do tells your story. So even when we draw, we're not drawing randomly. We're actually drawing something that's very relevant to who I am. And the practice is based and revolves around that moment that I saw myself dead and I said, that's me and I'm dead. But if that's me, then who am I? And the focus is, I'm not this, I'm somewhere here. I'm a lot more than this, so who am I? And it's a quest or a journey in itself within that two or three hour practice of trying to find the real you. Mm -hmm. Not Jose that's in this body that is in a way trapped here in it. And I, I use that term loosely because I love being in this body. It's a tremendous experience. I, my near-death experience made me love life so much more because it, it showed me this is the finite time for me. In my spirit form, I am eternal. And and it, it speaks to all those things, and it helps you to forgive yourself. So when I met my dad and I had that moment where I said, you know, where I became him and I understood he loved me, and I was thinking for him saying, no, he doesn't love me. And it, it made me forgive myself. And I think that's the journey of life. To me, life became very simple. If I forgive myself and I love who I am, and I believe that I can do things that I can never imagine, like painting, never thought I could do it, then there's a truth in I have unlimited potential. And if I could love myself, then it's easy for me to love others. If I could forgive me, then I could forgive you. If I could make peace within me, then I could make peace within out here. So I believe it starts in the same place. It starts in your heart always. And if you can focus in on that, hone in on it, we all have it, then it begins to consume us and spread. I, I think it's a simple solution, a simple answer to life. I hope I answered your question. Uh, yeah. 
You also have a book that's called Ethereal. Can you tell us about your book and how to get it? Yeah, the book, if you go to my website, you could find out about it. There are only 60 copies. It's a, it's a handmade book. Everything is handmade. Paper is comes from Germany. It's a special watercolor paper. Uh, it's done in the old way, the old school way. So, you know, it's bound by hand. Everything's done by hand. The cover is made of linen. It's, it's a beautiful piece with 12 pieces of real art in it. Uh, and it's signed by me. My wife made some hoku points. And the haiku. And there's some poems in there from her. And then I was blessed to do this with a man that is the premier fine book baker in Canada. And I will share this. He's in his 90s. He's concerned about his own transition. When he found out about me and that I had the deaf experience, he wanted to explore it further himself. So it's really my journey in the afterworld is really part of what it's called, even though it's ethereal. These are 12 pieces that are very dreamy that are more about spirit to me. So that's why it's called ethereal. Mm. Beautiful book. Since you are a painter, do you sell your artwork? I do. I do. If you go to my website, you can see a body in my work. I have uh, several of the bodies that I haven't put out yet, but they will be out soon. Uh, They're limited series. Uh, I paint on watercolor paper, on glass, on metal, and on uh, metallic paper. And, uh, each one has a different flavor, a different feel. I will explain to you why I like the glossy finishes, because when I look into it, I can see myself. And it speaks to that aspect of, that's probably the real me. This is me and my body. That's a spiritual me that could be immersed in that world that that is infinite there. And uh, so those are the four uh, mediums that I work with. But, you know, and when you go in the website, you could pick what you like. My dream eventually is to get this all get this all out into the masses. I use them for meditations, and that's really when I started to paint. You can imagine somebody totally sick still, you know, three or four years after the experience, I was still very, I'm going to use the word messed up, but I don't mean that in a negative way. Physically, I was really incapable of doing a lot of things that I was able to do before. Mm. And uh, I was able to capture something of that space that I had been in and bring it back here. And it's been a beautiful journey for me. You know, uh, the engineer died on that bed. The old Joe died in that bed. What 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 is here is what came back, and uh, we come back very different than we leave. Yeah, I would definitely say. So you have- yeah, you can find my art on the website, and I go and explore. Uh, They have some beautiful pieces, and I'll always let people know where they could get the lighting that I use and and, uh, where they could get it from Amazon and stuff like that. So uh, it's just uh, an amazing thing. And if you have a little sacred space or a sanctuary space or anything that you feel is really important to you, if you could put one of these, even if it's a small image, uh, it has tremendous capacity work with you you know you could use it for your reference point for meditation you could use it just as a place where you might want to burn a candle uh you know it, it to me there's a lot of potential in it in terms of what it can do and a lot of that depends on my belief mm-hmm. and i've heard from enough people to feel that yeah it does actually have an impact on people before we started the podcast, you mentioned that you are on a Netflix special that was just released. Uh, can you tell us what that Netflix special is called? Yeah. I mean, I had an incredible opportunity to do a show for Netflix. It's called Surviving Death. Hmm. It was a book that was written by an investigative journalist. 
uh, and she wanted to explore this world and see if there was something actually to this. Uh, and she became, she, she had written a bestseller, incredibly enough, on UFOs. Hmm. And she became famous because in her investigative research, she found evidence that might support these things. Uh, and so in this, in this realm, in the, in the world of, it, it wasn't only about NDEs, it's about psychics, about reincarnation. It's a, it's a, a docu-series that's six, six episodes. And each one deals with, with different subject matter, but they're all of spirit. And uh, I think by the end of the book and the end of her research, it had an impact on her. And so as a journalist, you know that uh, typically they're, they're more neutral. But I think at the end of this book, the impact that it had on her kind of left it kind of like, instead of saying, I leave it up to you to decide, she kind of felt maybe there is something to this. Her name is Leslie Keen, if anybody wants to look it up. Mm. The book is Surviving Death. It just started airing on Netflix yesterday. Mm. And it's already number 10 show here, where I live in, in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's going to do incredibly well. It was really well done. And you're going to hear a lot of beautiful people speak something that we know Many of you probably have had your own experiences out there already. It just it just galvanizes them. It it, it gives us validation. It it it's our own tribe. You know, when I when I died and I came back, one of the hardest things I had to do was find people that actually thought that I was sane, that I wasn't crazy, and I couldn't. Now all my friends that were very science minded very quickly became non-friends. They just mm. disappeared out of my life. Yeah. You know, my, my ex-wife couldn't really handle who I was. I had no interest in engineering anymore. I, I, I was a totally different person. Uh, you know, so it, it's nice to find something where you feel kind of at home. I use the word tribe, but, uh, you know, whatever your community, whatever you want to call it. It's of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. So I recommend the show highly. Just started airing. Uh, it was beautifully done. The director, the producer, the executive producer from New York City, so my hometown, so we hit it off pretty well. And I had the blessing that she actually flew me to New York City to film part of it. So uh, I got to, to to do all this right before the pandemic, you know, because we finished filming in October, September. And then in March, we were all in lockdown, so it closed the border here. So it's been an interesting nine months, mm-hmm. put that way. Mm-hmm. Well, you definitely have a lot on your plate between the immersion and your painting. But do you have any other projects that you're working on right now that you want us to know about? Well, I've been really blessed. And I'm working with some people that have kind of taken me in, so I'm like a... I became, uh, I was actually inducted into an organization called the uh, Association of Transformational Leaders, which is based out of Southern California. They just took me in in November, and they've opened up so many doors and so many opportunities for me, uh, not only in the transformational field, but helping me to get my message out. So I've created some workshops and some, uh, some video. And I have a special program that I'm really proud of that's just coming out. And you're all welcome to go to the website and explore it. But it speaks to two aspects of my journey. One, loving who I had been and loving my body. One, forgiving myself and how to apply that in real life. There's a 21-day practice that comes with that, which teaches us to understand what is important in and once I identify what's really, truly valuable to me, then I could begin to pivot and change my life in a way that you don't find yourself like I did, dying on a bed suddenly. And so many things unsaid, so many things undone. And, you know, we, we can make that transition a lot easier 
And so it teaches us what, what has value in my life. You know, maybe it's this cup that's very valuable because I drink coffee every day with it. It becomes a part of me. It's no longer a cup. It has uh, value. And so you begin to identify these little simple things that mean the most to you, the people in your life that are the most important. It's a beautiful, a beautiful program and uh, a life changer. Changes lives in a good way. Mm. But completely based on my experience of death. You know, I was thinking that I'm going to put your website in the description of this video, but this podcast also goes out over Spotify and iTunes and other things like that, where it's completely audio. So for those people who are just listening, can you tell me what your website is so I can find you? Yeah, it's uh, www.innerimmersion.org. And if you put a slash, Day to Dream, it'll take you right to this program that we're just talking about. But if you go to the website, you'll be able to see the artwork. You'll be able to explore all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it, it's going to be, a, from my mind, all I want to do is help the world. And if I could share my experience and take some fear away from someone and give somebody hope and give somebody something to kind of look forward to, even when times look really grim or really tough, then we're doing our job. And then that's why I came back. So, yeah, www.innerimmersion.org slash day to dream. And it'll take you right there and explore all your life. I look forward to to having you come and attend. And if you go there, you can download that free free video, the meditation, and you can see that art kind of moving very slowly and get an idea of what I'm talking about. See it. All right. Well, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message that you can share with us? That's a good question. My last message is, is this. We're all important. We all bring something to the table. And I want you to honor that and respect that within yourself. And the minute I started to think that way, I started to be a very different human being. And it brought a lot of joy and happiness into my world. uh, But always be humble. Always be who you really are. Be humble. And love every moment that's around you. And like I tell everybody, make happy memories. Make good memories. That is the only thing that you're going to take with you. Rest days here. Make Many, many happy memories, smile, whatever it is. Take that second if you love something. Even if it's just looking out a window. Because in the city, there wasn't much that I could see other than a building across the way. But embrace the beauty that's wrapped all around you. It's there for you. Thank you for that message, Jose. And thank you for being my guest. I really appreciate you. And um, I wish you massive success with everything that you're involved with. Thank you very much, Jeff. And to all of you, may spirit always be with you. And may you find only light and love on your journey. Likewise to you, my dear friends. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Many blessings. Thank you. And I wish you the same. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.